Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day to all the, the mums here, and uh, a warm welcome to everyone uh, coming this morning. If it's your first time, we pray that you feel really welcome. Um, if it's your second or your third time, uh, that uh, over time we're remembering your names. <laughs> um, I know I'm terrible at it, but uh, we want to say it's good that you're here again today, and uh, welcome family. Um, Alan and uh, Belinda, thank you so much for sharing this morning. It really is uh, part of the, the life um, that um, I'm hoping will be shared through Ruth um, and the story which we're going to be doing today. Um, and uh, you have set that up just so beautifully uh, through the Holy Spirit and responding to that. So that's fantastic. Um, we've got no small ground to cover today. Uh, we are going through two whole chapters of Ruth. So Chris decided it would be great to be able to have the person which is most succinct at preaching and, uh, and uh, be able to just get through this uh, really quickly. Um, Billy, when he heard that I'm leading today, said, um, should I get the picnic basket out so that we can uh, put a bl blanket out and have lunch uh, whilst we're sharing? And it hopefully won't be that long. But it's great to be able to spend time unpacking God's Word together, isn't it? And so we're going to do that. Today we're um, unpacking. Um, it's, it's not been specifically directed to um, Mother's Day, but it, we are unpacking, you know, a bit of a, a love story. <laughs> well, that's, that's what it seems like on the surface, isn't it? But uh, my prayer would be today that the Holy Spirit would really uh, open up to us, that we might see through this passage... God's kindness, God's mercy, and God's love for all of us. And in particular, this is a story of a young lady who has lost everything. And she's looking for a means of survival in a place now which is foreign to her. She's followed her mother-in-law, Naomi, into a land of the land of Israel, a place where she has been told might be able to give some form of support for her in her helplessness. So let's buckle up and let's uh, hit these two chapters, hey, and um, we'll pray. Father, I just pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would reveal through your word what you want to have each one of us to take heart today, that you would encourage us, that you would straighten up the ways which are crooked, that you would refresh, that you would guide, that you would realign our thinking through your word this morning, we pray. Amen. So we're going to be going moving through, it's, it is two whole chapters, um, so I'm going to be going through chapter two with you as a general summary, um, and so um, if you've got uh, your Bibles in front of you, you'll see me moving through really quickly, and I'll also have it up on the um, screen uh, for you to, to be able to have a look at as we go through. Um, so first of all, we're going to just jump straight through to um, uh, chapter two and... Um, we start with uh, a guy by the name of Boaz. Boaz is a landowner. 
He is, uh, we're told that he is well respected, that he's influential, and that he's wealthy. That's how it starts. And in verse 2, we see Ruth coming into the picture again. And it says that she's saying to Naomi that she needs to go and find help. She's going to go out and try and find means of uh, provision for her and for Naomi. She's going to seek help. Verse 3, Ruth finds herself in a field that, wouldn't you know, happens to belong to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law. Now, this is important information, and we'll be unpacking this a little bit further on. Verses 4 and 5, Boaz notices Ruth whilst visiting his fields and his workers. Verses 6 to 9, Boaz tells Ruth, you can find a refuge here. You don't need to go anywhere else. You can be safe here in my fields. Verses 10 to 13, Ruth expresses thankfulness to Boaz and in the conversation finds out that Boaz is actually well aware of what's been happening in her life and that as she comes under the God of Israel's wings, Boaz says you'll be rewarded. Verses 14, Boaz invites her to come and eat with him personally along with his workers. Verse 15 to 19, Boaz is instructing his field workers to be generous in leaving grain for Ruth as they're working in the fields. And as such, it amazes Naomi when she comes home with what she has um, gleaned for the day and she asks, who is this guy who owns this field? Ruth says his name is Boaz. Verse 20, Naomi is excited and thankful. Boaz is actually one of her close relatives. And this means that he is a family redeemer. We've heard words several times through the service, this idea of a redeemer. Um, David Gazicki from um, the Enduring Word website would uh, identify a family redeemer or, as Chris had said last week, a kinsman redeemer to have a very specifically defined role in Israel's family life in at least three ways. The kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. So if there was um, a widow... Um, and there was a relative of her um, deceased husband, then a kingsman redeemer would come to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. We see that in Leviticus 25. He was responsible to be the avenger of blood. Sounds like more good stories to be able to have of some epic movie, doesn't it? He was responsible to be the avenger of blood to make sure the murderer of a family member answered to the crime. Numbers 35. He was responsible to buy back family land which had been forfeited because there was now no longer chance for um, the people to be able to pay back the loan. And he was responsible to carry on 
the family name by marrying a childless widow in order for them to have children to be able to keep that family line moving forward in Deuteronomy 25. So that's what a kinsman redeemer would be. And Boaz has been identified as being a kinsman redeemer to Naomi and therefore also Ruth. Verses 21 to 22, Ruth indicates to Naomi that the invitation wasn't just for today. He said, I can come back. And he actually said that I can come back safely to his fields as long as we need to. Verse 23, we see Ruth being amongst the company of Boaz and his workers for some time. In actual fact, it's for the rest of the barley harvest and then also with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. Which means that this takes a period of time of around about three months. So that's the story. Of chapter 2 and we see this incredible provision of Boaz and his workers on his land to Ruth during that time but let's reframe this story as scripture um, calls us to be able to do and we get to do this at church every week what can we see here as God's family today And in particular, God's family and specifically God's family here at Raymond Terrace Community Church. If we wanted to apply ourselves to be workers of God's field, if we saw ourselves as the workers here, um, as it was for the workers under Boaz, the workers under God, What can we learn from this um, in this chapter? And if we move from uh, Boaz being the Redeemer to being Jesus being our Redeemer for eternal life, and if we moved from just a, a young lady called Ruth and also her family Naomi to applying it to anyone who is lost, in our community, someone who doesn't know the hope of Jesus personally has not yet met the Redeemer. What would it look like if we paralleled these verses? So let's go through that summary once again, chapter 2 and starting again from the beginning. In verse 2, we see Ruth going out and seeking help for their need. That's actually what we often find someone who is in our community, a seeker, someone who is looking for answers, someone who is wanting to go for something deeper. They know they're missing out. They are falling apart. They need help. They're desperate. What do I do now? That could be physically. What help do they need physically? What help do they need emotionally? At yes, deep down, ultimately, what they are really seeking for spiritually. Verse 3, Ruth finds herself in a field that 
wouldn't you know, happens to belong to Boaz. I think this is fantastic. I love that. Wouldn't you know? God sovereignly places people along other people's pathway. God does it all the time. God is God over all and God over everything. And God's sovereignty integrates all occurrences for a gospel opportunity. So for the seeker, the fact that they just happen to meet someone who goes to a church or happens to meet someone who is related to someone and then that brings to a a conversation about God because they know their mother who is a godly person or any other sort of occurrences that happen place. It just so happens that God knows everything and he is sovereign and it's part of his heart for the lost. Verses 4 to 5, Boaz notices Ruth whilst visiting the fields. And we want everyone to know when we're sharing about our amazing God, when we're sharing about Jesus, the amazing Redeemer, that God notices the lost. God notices the needy. He's not surprised. He actually knows what's going on. And for us as God's workers, how does that affect us? If God knows everyone's needs, if God is aware of everything that's going on, how do we react? Probably a good way would be to ask God, what are their needs? What should we be doing for them? Anytime we're having a gospel opportunity, start with prayer and saying, hey God, what would you be wanting me to be saying? What would you be wanting me to be doing? What is their distinct needs? How can I reach out to them to show that this is a safe place for them to learn about you? God notices. As God's workers, do we? I think Alan put that out so beautifully before. And if we do notice, what do we do? If he's calling us, to be generous and to be leaving uh, bits behind for someone to be fed, but to be able to do it in a way which is showing um, uh, not just uh, a handout, but actually dignity for them to be able to be finding their help in their time of need. How do we give them that dignity while showing them God's love? Well... Verses 6 to 9, Boaz tells Ruth that she can find refuge here and you don't need to go anywhere else. You're safe in my fields. God's people should be people who are safe to come to. Isn't that right? Yeah. God's people are the ones which they should find provision for and throughout history we see that time and time again. However, I would be aware that even in this room this morning or someone listening online, and historically, that's not always been the case, has it? God's people or people claiming to be God's people haven't been safe. When that happens, it's really important to remember that it's not God that has let them down 
and it's God that is lacking, but it's the workers who have lost sight of the purpose that God called them to in working in his fields. For us, we need to be aware that if we're God's workers in his fields, what are we called to do? Are we called to be able to go and grab some more stuff for ourselves to make ourselves well-fed and fat whilst we're aware of other people around? When I'm saying that, I'm not just talking about food, although you know that food would be a very close thing to my heart. Um, We're talking about life and needs of people around us. We need to have our eyes open to what God is wanting to do with the people around us and helping them in their time of need. Verses 10 to 13, Ruth expresses thankfulness to Boaz and in the conversation finds out that Boaz is well aware. And as we touched on with sovereignty, we can keep going even more clearly that God really does know everything. God knows whether you've been naughty or nice. doesn't say you better watch out though, does it? No, God If we were to look at Boaz in Ruth and we want to see a reflection of a gracious and beautiful redeemer, he knows all that you have done. He knows all that you shouldn't have done. He knows all the good and all the evil that has been made against you. He understands And knows all the disappointments. He knows that you have lost everything. And you're in a foreign land. And he invites you to come to a field that is safe. And be looked after. That's God's character. God is sovereignly engaging himself into each one of our stories. Even today on being Mother's Day, many might be here with a very different story of what Mother's Day means to you. I want you to know God knows everything and he is gentle and he is merciful and he is loving and he is inviting you to know that you are safe with him. No matter what man has done, no matter what has happened in your life, God is a safe person to be with. And God reigns over all. God has already won the battle. You can walk within his story and identify yourself with him That's not just mothers, is it? That's all of us. Every single one of us here. It's not a Mother's Day story. This is the story of a gracious God who is calling out and reaching out and inviting the lost to find a place of belonging and identity. Verse 14. Have 
I skipped past? I have, haven't I? Where did I get up to? I got really excited what I was talking about. I'm up to verse 14. Boaz invites Ruth at the end of working in a day in the field to come and eat with him and his family, if his family was there. It doesn't specify family, but it says with him and his workers. I want you to know that the Lord is inviting you to a deeper connection with him. He's not just wanting to help your immediate needs, but he's actually interested in journeying with you personally. He's interested in having a conversation with you. It's uh, Eating together is um, something which sometimes we have to fight for these days, isn't it? Um, there's so much which is going on in people's lives. One person's running out, the next person's running in, the tea's just on the table, just grab it. Some people will go and sit down with it in front of the TV. Others don't even have a TV, but they've got their phone. Um, and we sort of start moving out beyond. But this idea of coming around the table together as a family is a good thing to look to. It's where we're eating together. It's where fights are held, where food is thrown at your brother and your sister, where your parents are going, just stop that. Or we need to address something which has been happening today and we need to deal with this as a family. Let's talk about this. Conversations around the table can be tough conversations, but they can also be great laughter where someone is telling a funny story that happened in the day and, and here is this person being invited into a place which has been already identified as being a place of safety, a place of um, being looked after and they're sitting at the table and observing and looking around and going, this is actually quite normal. These people are having disagreances. These people are not quite so as polished as I thought they were. This person burps. This person does more than burp. <laughs> this person woofs down his food. And this person looks at the other person who woofs down the, f- the food and goes, oh, you're still hungry. Would you like some of my food? <laughs> or... That person is going, I don't really like that food, so I'm really happy to get rid of the food. But it's all happening around a table, and here is Ruth being invited to come here and is observing and seeing all that is taking place. The church should be like that, shouldn't it? Coming together regularly, the workers of the field going out into the week, and then coming together and sharing together what has happened in the week, sharing the good things, the bad things, the one brother coming and coming and sitting at the table with a sister, and to be honest, they're not feeling real happy with each other at the moment. But God is inviting you to the table because you are both seen as being beautiful and loved and a place of belonging. And so at the table, you might be addressed and say, you need to stop it. Come on, grow up. But you know what? It's the safest place to hear that. And when you have your boss 
or your master, the owner of the field, or for us, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of the harvest, at the head, that's a pretty good table to be invited to and for us to participate in. Verses 15 and 19, Boaz instructs the field workers to be generous in leaving grain for Ruth. Naomi comes home and she goes, who is this guy? The Lord of the harvest is a generous Lord. I want you to hear that. God is generous. He desires good things. And he loves you. And he wants you to know what that's like. Because the world is not like that. Satan and the world want to rob you of things. Take away joy. God brings joy. God brings life. God brings peace. God brings satisfaction for your soul. God will feed you well. It's a good table to come to that you've been invited. He is the Lord of the harvest. Verse 20, Naomi's excited and thankful. Boaz is one of her close relatives. This means he's a family redeemer. The Lord of the harvest, Jesus, he is your redeemer. Jesus is the one who can take you, as Luke said earlier at communion, out of a debt of sin that you are now in and to make things right. Jesus, as your Redeemer, has a family of workers who delight in the Redeemer. And you too could be redeemed and be officially born into this family. And you can have his Holy Spirit change you from the inside out. I'm going to talk a bit more about that shortly. Verse 21 to 23. We see Ruth, the invitation is not just for today, but comes back and she spends time with Boaz and his workers for some time. Receiving help. Going around working. She's in there and doing it. She's interacting in amongst the workers, probably regularly coming at the end of the day and sitting at the table with the workers as they're doing that, listening to the conversations going on and enjoying it and laughing with them and feeling welcome. I want you um, to know that Jesus is a gentleman and he's inviting all people at their own speed and taste to taste and see that he is good. And these fields are a place which can bring healing and continued nourishment. So it's important for workers of the field, for Christians, to take seekers, people like Ruth, at their pace, where they're at to spend time with them and invite them to come to the next step. We don't expect them to be like a tree and be planted and then expect them to be a mature tree the next day. It takes time and God knows that. And he's saying allow that time. Same for someone who's experiencing Jesus for the first time. 
different people, different times, different places. God might have sovereignly been placing queues of workers of the fields in different fields and where you've gone, from where you've gone, you've gone to that field and you've experienced a worker of the Most High God, Jesus, the Redeemer. And then you come to this field, oh, it's the same. It's the same Redeemer, owns this field as well, comes here, owns this field as well. And then over time, you start coming to this point of experience where you want to know more. You want to go and take the next step. So for Christians in the room, be willing to take time and encourage them to take the next step, the seeker, to experience the Lord of the harvest. And can I just let you know that you're not the answer. They don't need you. They need the fruit of what you're doing because you are a worker of the field. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And they need to come to know Jesus. So uh, for all who have assurance already that you are a Christian, you clearly understand that you have been redeemed by Jesus. You have had your debt paid for by Jesus at the cross. It's a free gift to them and, and you now live in freedom of that debt of sin today. I want to spend a bit of time talking with you. Uh, we can look at this passage and we can see as an example of our church community, indeed what it looks like here, um, and this building here, for example, even with the different ministries that we run here, um, we want to be working for the glory of Jesus' name, don't we? We want to see this place as a place which is safe for people to walk into and to be able to feel God's kindness and gentleness and an invitational place for visitors to come. And if they were to come as part of this church service, they could come here to this church service as if they were coming to a meal, like what we celebrate each week in communion, and they can observe and they can see that this is real people who belong to the Lord of the harvest. What a fantastic place this is. They are our guests. They have come in. They might have been our guests for over three months. Might be three years. But they're coming and they feel safe and welcome here as being part of um, being amongst God's workers, Christians. That's a great place to be, but it's not where we want to leave them really, is it? We would uh, want to see this as being a great place, but I wonder whether we want to stretch it out a little bit and see that maybe like Boaz, maybe there's many fields. Maybe we need to take our eyes off just seeing a building or coming on a Sunday or the events that we run here as being the field and actually realise that maybe the fields that you are a worker for is wherever you are. Because the Lord is the Lord of all. So if you're at work and there are no other Christians in your workplace, how are you living your life 
And how are you acting? What are you saying? What's going on in a way which people can actually go, when I'm with this person, I feel safe. When I'm with this person, I'm actually experiencing a sense of kindness. I'm experiencing a sense of belonging. And that worker is inviting them to come and have a deeper relationship, to start inviting them into more of other circles where they're interacting with other Christians. And they see, yep, they, they, they don't actually have it all together, but they all have this same common goal and purpose. They actually belong to the Lord of the harvest. They belong to Jesus. They actually are like this because they desire as workers of the field, to please their boss. They don't want to do anything else other than please him. It's, that's their natural desire. I want to work for Jesus. Not work for myself, not work for my own good. In actual fact, I've got this sense of generosity that I will actually give things away freely to be able to encourage others to see that my boss, my king, my Lord of the harvest is a great God. Hey, can I invite you for dinner? Would you like to taste and see how good he really is? It's not going to be pretty. I've got some pretty annoying brothers and sisters. But I tell you what, together, we are just reminded that in our imperfection, this is the best table you want to come to. Come and join with us. You're welcome. I want to introduce you to Jesus. That's a good place for us to be. So your field as a worker, Christians, is not just what we do here at Raymond Terrace Community Church. It's actually how you're living your life in the field that God has called you to. And then it's like they meet, they have dinner. You have to have dinner. And they're workers of the field. So they are all gathering together to have their dinner. The gathering together is vitally important. Don't just go, oh, I'm a worker of the field for Jesus. I'm going to go out and work for myself. I don't really need to meet with other Christians because it's not important. I'm doing what God has called me to do. No. No, you need to be at the meal table with the Lord of the harvest, with all your brothers and sisters, and together being reminded of how good he is. Laugh together. Be able to be addressed on the things that need to be sorted out. Interacting with the other people in your life that maybe is even hard, but as a result, you actually build in love for one another and you actually see God helping you to love others in the way that you never thought possible through his Holy Spirit. In Luke 14, it's, um, 23, it says, And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and to the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. Matthew 28, 18 and 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We, as God's workers, have a testimony to give. We have an opportunity to show God's love. So, 
that's for all of those who are, are feeling assured. How about those who are not so assured? I'm not sure where I really am in my relationship with God. I don't know where I really stand with the Lord of the harvest. I'm not really even sure if I understand what does it mean to be redeemed. If you're not 100% certain of your place before God, then we're going to hit this next chapter, but we're going to hit it running. It's not going to be anywhere near as long as what I've just spent with chapter 2. But let's look at a couple of things, hey? I'm sure Chris will build on this more next week. It begins in chapter 3 by Naomi saying to Ruth, it's time. My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. It's time. It's time to ask Boaz to officially become a Kingsman Redeemer. Boaz, would you be willing to take ownership of everything that had been Naomi's husband's and his offspring, me, in order to pay all of our debts which are owed and to be able to take us as your family, to carry on the family line, would you look after and protect us? As the law says, you can do this. You can be our kingsman redeemer. It's interesting that Ruth is instructed to clean herself up, put on her best clothes, put on some perfume, we can all see what's happening here now, huh? Let's uh, go around over to Boaz and say, hi, good looking. And the passage doesn't say that at all because even though this is a, a marriage which is coming together, it's actually looking for something much deeper. She is instructed to clean herself up by Naomi and to put on her best clothes and just like at a wedding... We would see someone putting on a nice dress, ready to be able to meet her groom. I don't think the passage is saying, so before you come and ask your Redeemer, you need to clean up your life. You need to sort all of it out. Because you've already identified they're desperate. You can put on some fresh clothes, but that's not going to change your circumstances. And often that's the case where people go and they might even come and be amongst the field and they see all of God's people doing things. So if I just watch carefully and I observe what they do and I do good things, I'm going to clean up my act and then God might accept me. That is not what this is saying at the moment at all. What it is saying is Ruth in the clothes that she was wearing and if her identification of being someone who is widowed and her identification of someone who has these circumstances in her life is now making a choice, a decision to say, I'm going to put on these clothes and I'm going to go and approach my kinsman redeemer. I am going to prepare and I'm going to go and see my kinsman redeemer. And then passage goes on and says things which are pretty weird for us to hear. Wait till he's lying down, uncover his feet, lie there, wait for his response. What? I'll, I'll let Chris work through that a little bit later on. 
But really, what we're talking about here is actually something quite cultural and quite important for the Israelite culture of the day. And it was a cultural sign of submission. Ruth was coming down at his feet, uncovering his feet, saying, everything is laid bare and I'm requesting refuge to the one of whom I'm at the feet of. Will you be my redeemer? Boaz's responses was what? Well, are you going to be good enough for me? I mean, there's not much in it for me really, is it? No. His response is, the Lord bless you, my daughter. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary to be your kinsman redeemer. That's what a seeker needs to hear. So it's like we see great parallels in chapter 2. We can draw the same in this passage. Like Ruth, a seeker can't just be on the fringe of acceptance into the fields. A seeker could come into our church and can be a part of our life, could be seeing you and even maybe doing a Bible study with you at work. You've actually brought them along the line that far that you're talking about Jesus regularly. They feel welcomed. But I have to say... A seeker is not actually part of the family until there's been a time that the Redeemer accepts them and they approach the Redeemer and they ask him, will you be my Redeemer? We could have people at church and being things, family and being part of this all the time but if you've not personally gone to Jesus Christ and made a decision I'm not going to live my life any longer for myself in desperation I I am so desperate I've got nothing which can make me right before a holy God I have to turn towards my kinsman redeemer I have to turn to Jesus and say Jesus will you be my redeemer only you can save me only you can take ownership of all the debt that I have which I can't get rid of and I want you to hear that the answer to that is always going to be God bless you you don't have anything to fear I will sort it out and that's what he's done isn't it it's what he's done on the cross To truly be part of a family, you need to approach personally the Lord of the harvest. He's the only one who can truly declare you as family or not. I often feel like this humbleness is something which is not often talked about in evangelism. It's always looking about how amazing God is and giving your life to Jesus. But what that really means is you have to truly understand that you are desperate without him. You have to come to him and say, I've got nothing. God, will you accept me into your family? Will you accept me? Will you be my redeemer? Will you deal with all the stuff that prevents me from being with a holy God? Will you sort out my state? 
And he says, yes. Maybe someone here needs to hear that today. You need to come and approach the Redeemer. You've been part of church life for a while. You've been tasting and seeing that these people are gentle and kind. They're a reflection of the owner of the field. You are welcome here. I want this. We want this. The pastoral team, we pray about this being a safe and amazing place for all who interact with us in the building, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, in our families. But you need to meet the Redeemer. And you need to come before him and say, will you be my Redeemer? He says, I will do what is necessary. How do we know that? John chapter 1.12 says, But for all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Not guests, children, family. I love that. I love that. So while God is sovereign in all of the incidences that occurred in this story, remember, it just so happened. And God is sovereignly giving us the opportunity to respond to him. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Jesus is the only one who can deal with your debt of sin, who can wipe it clear, which prevents you from being with a perfect king. Is there anyone that needs to do that today? Turning away from your past, making a decision, I'm going to turn towards Jesus. He has sovereignly been calling you to this point. He has been allowing you to work in the field behind his family, his workers, and for you to hear and to taste and see and be at the table to know that this is a good place. But you need to be redeemed to become children. And he's inviting you to do that today. You would do this by simply praying to him. I invite everyone to close their eyes as I pray. You would say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I am in desperate need. But I find kindness and love and acceptance in all that you put your hand on. But just being in places of your goodness isn't enough. I need you. I humble myself before you at your feet and I ask you to redeem me. I thank you that your word tells me that all who ask you to be saved, you will accept. For you are a good Lord who loves his people. I want your people to be my people. I ask you to be my redeemer, my God today. Amen. So um, the musicians come up for the final song. For anyone that's prayed this prayer or a similar prayer in the past, a redeemer in Ruth's day would deal with all the requirements of the law 
with regard to debt and family need. Jesus has redeemed you and deals with all sin and debt for you to be with him in his family forever. And so for everyone here, you can hear these words of scripture as we're going out today. Romans 8. So there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. God sent his son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end of sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. So no longer will we follow our sinful nature, but now instead we follow the Spirit. Amen.